I'm Rena Nainen, and this is Ask Lisa, the Psychology of Parenting podcast. It's a podcast to help parents better understand their kids. Dr. Lisa Demore, a psychologist with three decades of experience and the author of three New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. Both of us are moms ourselves, and we're eager to hear from you. So send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And you can join our community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The handle is at Lisa Podcast. And also subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel, Ask Lisa Podcast. Episode 137, How Do I Parent a Teen with a Chronic Health Condition? You know, I'm hearing from so many more of my friends who are now required to go into work and not just be at home where you have a little bit more flexibility. And one of the things when you're talking about childcare is when your kid gets sick. And oftentimes you hope it's a day if you're lucky and then they go right back to school. But Lisa, what if it's longer? And sometimes it is, right? Yeah. No, you know, we're at that part of the school year where kids are starting to get sick with stuff and they calm down with it and you kind of deal with it for a few days and it feels like this giant disruption. But there are a lot of families who are dealing with a situation where their kid has a chronic health condition Mm. and um, they have to really make adjustments as a whole family around that. Well, it was fascinating. So we got two fabulous letters about kids with chronic health conditions talking about different subjects. And so we're going to start with one letter. And then after the break, we're going to read the other letter, which tackles a bunch of other issues as well. This one comes from a listener in England. And it reads, Hi, Dr. Lisa. Please can you devote an episode to how parents can support preteens and teens who have a chronic medical condition? Our 12-year-old daughter has type 1 diabetes and recently started at a new school. Her old school was small and cozy, and we feel she was fairly inoculated from the difficulties of life with T1D, type 1 diabetes. Now that she is 12 and at a new school, she's acutely aware of being different from everyone else, something no 12-year-old wants to be. She's a gentle, kind kid who has a lot to deal with on a day-to-day basis to manage her condition. She was bullied early on at the new school which we alerted the school to, who seem to take appropriate measures and are providing support to her at school regarding building social confidence. We have also assessed psychological and therapist support for her and spend a lot of time together as a family. But she seems to lack social confidence. Would love to hear your thoughts on how best to support children in similar circumstances. Life is hard enough between the ages of 12 to 16 without a chronic medical condition. Thank you so much. Wow. 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 First off, you know, I guess in my ignorant mind, I never viewed type one diabetes as a chronic health condition. Yeah, I think um, it's a fair description. And, and I think um, the way we would think about it, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a medical doctor, right? Is that it needs constant mm, management. That's a good point. It yep. is. Con- I mean, and by constant, I mean, all day, every day, um, anyone dealing with type 1 diabetes is having to keep an eye on their blood sugar and decide how much insulin to inject to regulate their blood sugar. And the thing that's so complicated about this is that um, the things that are just typical parts of a day, like what you eat, how much you exercise, literally how stressed you are, um, those will all affect blood sugar. Mm. And so anyone managing diabetes is needing to keep a very, very constant eye on what their body needs. Mm. 
I it hurt my heart about the part where she's aware that, you know, she's got the sense that she's different. What, what do you think her parents can do to help her with this sense that she understands she's different and it's starting to stick out and show? So number one is I would say, like, don't deny it. Like, it does make, it, it does feel different. And, and you know, the kids who I have been around or cared for who struggle with type 1, you know, not struggle with, but live with type 1 diabetes, you know, they show up to places with their own snacks. They're mm-hmm. um, monitoring their blood sugar levels. And, you know, there's um, a constant monitor that can be attached to the skin. Um, it's often on the upper arm. And um, it's actually a really helpful thing because it actually constantly is keeping an eye on glucose levels as opposed to having to do finger sticks all the time. But it means that they have a, a plastic um, little machine that is attached to the back of their arm. And like, Rena, do you remember being 12, 13, 14 and like having a haircut you didn't like mm-hmm. or a pimple that felt really mm-hmm. prominent totally. and being like, I cannot go to school. Mm-hmm. This looks wrong. This looks different, right? I think if we can tuck into the the way in which those um, even physical or visual differences can feel so exquisitely painful at that age, I think we can have a lot of empathy for like the adult may be like, this is great. You've got a blood sugar monitor yeah. that like just lives on your skin. You don't have to pay attention. This is a great outcome. And then to a 12-year-old, it may not feel like a great outcome. It may feel really awkward and strange and different. So when you have a child who's going through a chronic illness of some sort, and you know that the illness makes them look or feel differently, what's your advice to the parent for tackling that? Because you can't avoid it and you can't brush it aside and say, oh, no, 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 it's going to be fine. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I think this, I'm so grateful to be a develop, like I'm not a developmental psychologist by training, but my training is very developmentally oriented. You know, so I think about, okay, well, this is happening in the box that is age 12, right? And that anything we're going to advise is going to really center on what it means to be 12. And, you know, the age is right around it. And here is the thing that I think can inform how an adult walks up to this. I would say probably the number one fear, and by fear, I mean like in their bones terror of 12. So 12 is seventh grade, you know, right around there, is isolation. I think that at that age, there is a, an almost primal fear of ending up isolated. And this is true for all 12-year-olds. And so if a 12-year-old with a chronic health condition is bringing across concerns like, this makes me different, this makes me strange, I feel like I stick out, I think the way to address that as the loving adults is to think, okay, this kid is terrified of ending up isolated for being different, right? Like it's almost always about like, I'm afraid I'll be isolated. So then all energies go to isolation prevention, right? Mm. Making sure that kid does not feel isolated as a result of their difference. Mm. How do you as a parent make that happen? Because I'm curious about this bullying part, Lisa, right? Like yeah. what's up with that? I didn't like that. I was really bummed to hear that. And and I like, you know, who knows what the dynamic was. And the thing I'm like, I was sort of bummed and surprised to hear that is that bullying happens and it's awful when it does, but it's also my experience that usually teenagers are pretty good about leaving alone kids they see to be vulnerable. Like I've often, like I've often been 
just absolutely like really? deeply impressed by how teenagers, if they sense that someone's vulnerable, they'll actually rally around that kid. Oh. So I was really bummed to hear it. So why do you think yeah. they're doing that then? If you if your sense is you've seen this over the years and usually they're not picking on the kid who has a chronic health issue. Yeah, I mean who the heck knows what's going on? But I mean, there are kids who are very insecure or feel very anxious in their own way. And the form that it takes is going after a kid because they are vulnerable. So that could very well have happened here. Mm-hmm. And what I liked hearing was they brought it up with school. It feels like the school was on it. Um, so I don't want to in any way diminish or count out the fact that, you know, a kid who's vulnerable may be more subjected to bullying maybe than a kid who's not. But I was really sorry to hear that that had happened. So the first thing is to do actually what the parents did. If it's really bullying, and bullying is where there's a power differential and the you know kid on the receiving end is unable to protect themselves, you do actually need to alert the school. Like it is important, you know, don't call the other family, don't, you know, try to handle it yourself. Get the school involved. And from what little information we have, it sounds like they did and it went well and they can move forward. So mm-hmm. I was glad to hear that it seems somewhat resolved, at least That's in this great. description. That's good advice. Uh, also to hear from you to just on this issue, just deal with the school directly and have them sorted out quickly. Yeah. Mm. But so then if we just tackle this straight up from a like, don't let this kid end up isolated question. So there's a few things that parents can assess. You know, so one is, does she have at least one good friend? And and I will say, your kid does not need a big social network. Kids are not necessarily made happier by having a big social network. They're often made more stressed because they're tr- trying to juggle too many, you know, relationships at once. And even, and like, I want there to be no bullying, but even a kid who is subjected to bullying, you're looking at two very different situations if that kid has no friends or if that kid has one good friend. Because if a kid is subjected to bullying and they have no friends, that is a five alarm fire crisis. Mm. If a kid is dealing with bullying, but they've got somebody at school who's like, ignore them, that kid's a jerk, come hang out with me, you know, don't, that is a very different scenario. So, Do they have one friend? Do they have no friends? Like you want to assess that. The other thing I wonder, and a lot of times kids will be resistant. Sometimes hospital systems, medical systems will have ways where there's like support groups for kids and families dealing with similar issues. So I would also wonder, you know, is there a type 1 diabetes program um, that is extra? You know, that the, you know, obviously they have medical care, they have doctors who specialize in this. You know, is there something that the hospital or the medical system is providing that's like, and our families meet once a month to talk about this, mm-hmm. and so your kid can meet other kids who are dealing with this. Now, most 12-year-olds worth their salt will be like, you have got to be kidding me. No way. Like, I would not rather gonna do it. Yeah. poke my own eyes out, like I'm not yeah. going. But I think that that's a possibility. Lisa, what do you do if, um, obviously, as you mentioned, they don't want to go to the social groups and they don't have that friend because it can be so isolating often, right? That you 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 climb up into a shell. How, do, how does a parent respond then? Well, and especially like climb up into a shell does sound a little bit like this letter. What she's saying is this child has very low social confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, is very anxious. Now, these are my words about how things are going to go socially. So the rule here, Rena, is the only way to get past an anxiety, the only way to build confidence is by doing the thing, is by doing the thing. Like the more you wait or daydream about how it can go wrong, the more anxious you become. So what I would say in terms of the low social confidence or a kid who's like feeling very um, reluctant to put themselves out there is can the parents create very low stakes, high chance of success conditions 
for her to actually start to wade into being a bit more of a social person. There's a beautiful book called The Science of Making Friends by -hmm. Elizabeth Logason. And um, so I would recommend parents get it. We'll put it in the show notes. And um, it really is a very wise book about like how to initiate conversations, how to keep conversations going, how to even how to deal with bullying comes up in there. So I would recommend the parents get this, look at this, decide how much they want to share it with their kids or just use it as their own like coaching manual as they coach their kid. But um, use resources like that to be able to provide good advice and then see if you can't say like, why don't you invite that one kid over? Like a kid who you know is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. likely to be a fun guest and a wonderful kid and just um, treat it all as practice, right? That social skills are like any skills, you develop them through practice. And so she may need to practice her social skills so you want to set her up for success. When you have seen over the course of of treating uh, and dealing with kids with chronic health conditions, what works best in building that social confidence? So practicing, and then the other thing I would say is teenagers take their cues from one another about how big a deal something is. And so sometimes schools will help kids either do a quick little presentation to their class about a chronic health condition, it can be any variety of chronic health conditions, where the kid actually is like, hi, everybody, just a few things you need to know about me. You'll sometimes see me doing this. You'll sometimes see me doing that. It's because I have, you know, fill in the blank. It's something I manage. If you have any questions, feel free to ask. It works in the teen years? Oh, totally. Really? I, I would say doing that a little bit for younger kids or prepping your teen to do it one-on-one with their peers, right? Wow. You know, but the thing is like, sometimes the advice I will give kids in my practice is like, yeah, I get it. You know what? But just don't be weird about it, right? I'll mm. say to them, just don't be weird about it. And if the kid can like be, they may feel weird. I'm not saying don't feel weird. Like you can't control that. But if the kid can be given advice to be like, yeah, you know, here's how you can explain it to your friend or you can write it up mm. and like hand, you know, like you can say like, here's, you know, if you want to learn more, like here's a little pamphlet about what I struggle with. But the kid can set the tone of like, I got it. I'm on it. You know, if you have questions, you can ask me. And it can be very powerful when a person is like, you know, this is not, this is not, these are not the droids you're looking for. You know that line in, in, uh, <laughs> yes. in Star Wars? <laughs> and so like, if the kid kind of does the, these are not the droids you're looking for, like, <gasps> it can actually be pretty effective at people being like, okay. I see that going a totally different direction with teens, that that it's just so embarrassing. I'm not going to do that. It's so embarrassing. I don't want to share my private information with them, even though it might be public and, and people aware, but you you say it works. Well, it can work. And I think I would also, I think you're totally right. I think there's very few kids when you're like, well, I have an idea. What if you just like dealt with it head on? Yeah. Very few teenagers will be like, well, that is brilliant. I think yeah. I will do that. But I think that it's the kind of thing where you could plant the seed at 12, 13, 14, be like, you know what? Yeah. The time may come where you just quickly explain to people why you have to, you know, step away or what this yeah. thing is on your arm. And the kid may be like, no, 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 no. But that doesn't mean that they won't do it in six months, in a right. year. So I think, again, you know, what we're getting at here, and this is so critical, is the parent also has to set the tone that the kid is supposed to be setting. Like if the parent is like, you know what? It's cool. This is just, this is what it is. It's, you know, we wouldn't have wanted this, but it is what it is. That's our attitude about it. That can be your attitude about it at times. You can transmit that attitude to the people who have questions about it. So I think kind of modeling um, a matter of factness about it from the parent side can help the kid start to model that for peers. But again, probably not the first time you bring it up. 
That's great. Um, what do you think? What else do you think that parents might not be thinking about that you find is also important? That I, I think that just this this letter said it so beautifully. It's already hard enough to be twelve to sixteen, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like this kid's going to have all the other complexities of adolescence layered over um, having to manage a you know frustrating and potentially very scary at times um, health concern. Mm, that's great. Lisa, I want to pause and take a quick break. I want to ask you a little bit more about the social confidence component to all of this, but also what else can people who might be in the friend group or just in the community do to support other peers who have chronic health conditions? We'll be right back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. I love doing laundry now because of EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze are these eco sheets that look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless, so you don't have that drippy goo from plastic jugs. EarthBreeze is really tough on stains, even odors. And if you've got teens, you know about those odors. Dermatologists tested, hypoallergenic, and also free of bleach, dyes, and parabens. Fragrance-free option is also there for anyone who wants it. So what EarthBreeze did was they got rid of the unnecessary chemicals for a formula that's kind to sensitive skin of all ages, and that includes babies. And I love that I just order online and the shipment comes right to my door when I need it. So right now, our listeners at Ask Lisa can receive 40% off of EarthBreeze. That's right, 40% off just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash Ask Lisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and get your 40% off your subscription. Earthbreeze.com slash Ask Lisa. I got the most amazing pair of boot-cut black work pants that have been a game changer, all thanks to my stylist at Stitch Fix. The stylists understand your style, your size, your budget, and they do all the shopping for you. It took a couple of tries for the stylist and I to really see eye to eye, and once they did, it's such a game changer. I asked for a pair of black pants that make my legs look good, and also would look good with a blouse or a nice top. They really nailed it. And then they found another cardigan for me that really works. I also love that they show you different styles of how you can put these outfits together. I love that it feels like she can read my mind now, and we've got a rhythm to where all I do is say I need this type of wardrobe piece, and she sends it to me and it fits, and it works. Styles that make you feel as good as you look. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash asklisa. That's stitchfix.com slash asklisa. Stitchfix.com slash asklisa. Did you know that most bedding is made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, and toxic dyes? Luckily, one company is changing this standard for good. Bullen Branch Sheets, which you know I love, uses the rarest 100% organic cotton that's traceable from family farm to your family home. I have had my Bullen Branch Sheets for a while now, and I love them. They feel like butter. In fact, I am so used to them now that when I travel, as I often do for work, I take my Bullen Branch pillowcase with me and I put it on the pillow in the hotel room so I can enjoy that softness, at least on my face even when I'm not sleeping in my own bed. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code ASKLISA at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code ASKLISA. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Welcome back to Ask Lisa, the psychology of parenting. Um, we mentioned at the top, we've got another letter. Um, that was a beautiful letter that we first read from England. But I want to get into this other letter because um, it tackled some other issues on chronic health conditions that we thought were important. Hi, Dr. Lisa. My 12-year-old son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes 18 months ago. It all seemed easier for both of us when he was 10. Now he's 12 and I have to weigh his food, ask him, did you dose for that? Not to mention, there's just always an undercurrent of me being aware of what he's eating. He hates this. When he was 10, he took it in stride, from my perspective at least. Now he forgets to take insulin. He gets mad when I remind him. He sneaks food. I don't know how to not turn it into a point of contention for us. I understand that he can't fathom if you're not careful with your health. In 20 years, you could have X problem. So how do I make him care? I don't even know how to ask the question. Do you have any suggestions? Why does it feel, Lisa, this situation is worse, even though he's only like a couple of years, like 18 months older? Yeah, I know. It's really interesting. And I also, I just like, I think I'm so glad we're doing these two together because it's the same disease, right? They're both struggling the same thing and they're actually the same age. Mm. But we're looking at two very different dimensions on this. And uh, which again, I think, I love that we just happened to get two letters that lined up so beautifully in the kind of facts of the situation and yet told such different stories about what it was like to parent that child because right. like, again it just it just um calls so much to our attention like how complicated parenting is how specific it is so how much true. it's you and your kid okay so rena this piece around like a 10 it wasn't that big a deal to coach this boy he was much more um amenable to keeping an eye on his insulin as he was supposed to and at 12 now this all feels like it's falling apart I will tell you, I have seen this pattern over and over again around medical concerns, that it's easier for kids pre-adolescent, so 10 is usually like right on the cusp, pre-adolescent, to um, tolerate having medical concerns. And it's easier for adults to tolerate having medical concerns that involve other people intruding on their bodies. Mm. Right, because when you're a kid, you're used to people having your, their hands on you in the you know care and and people telling you what to eat and when. And when you're an adult, you've had time to have a sense of like my body is independent and autonomous, so now I can decide mm. to grant you access to give you medical give me medical care. Teenagers fall into this perfectly normally developmental adolescent window of like I want autonomy, I want bodily autonomy, and they want it about all sorts of things, what they wear, you know how they do their hair, all of that. Mm -hmm. So it's a real um, collision of forces when a teenager has a medical concern that involves people to be in their bodily business. Totally. And so that is why even though he's older and theoretically more mature, it feels like it's going backwards in terms of this mother's ability or this parent's ability to coach him on the management of his own body. So how do you stop this from turning into a fight? Right. And this is like, you know, we were talking last time about stuff that could matter when you're 30. Yes. Right? Yes, on the crop tops. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one that's tough because this could matter when the kid's 30. That, you know, um, it's scary to have a kid with type 1 diabetes because if they're hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic a lot, like it can have long-term implications for their health. So this is, nobody's in a good position here. The poor kid is having to deal with this. The poor parent is having to deal with this. So I think that one way to go about it is to really focus on his health and his safety, right? It's not about the kid bending to the parent's will, mm. but really, and this is what we do not just for type 1 diabetes. This is what we do for how you drive, for how you, you know, go to parties. This is about his health and his safety. And that the parent is wanting him to 
take good care of his own health and safety. Like that, this is, it's his own autonomous interests that are at stake here. Now, one way she could go about it, I'm saying it's a she, I think it's a, I don't know, the parent could go about it, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. The parent could go about it, is to say, buddy, I don't want to be in your business. I don't want to be asking you if, you if you've eaten. I don't want to be asking you where you are with your insulin. I don't want to do this. You don't want me doing this. Like you don't want me up in your business like this. But here's the deal. If you're not on top of it, I have to be on top of it. So if you want me out of your business, there's you got all the power, buddy. Mm. You start taking control of this. So that would be the conversation to start with. Mm. You know, Lisa, they, in this letter, they talk about how the child really hates when they're asking about everything they're eating and on top of them about this. What if they're sneaking food? Like, what if they're doing something that could really have serious critical issues on their health? Yeah, no, it can be very dangerous. So this is actually a really interesting place in the care of um, type 1 diabetes in particular. Most families at this point have an app, you know, if they can afford it. Yeah. You know, this is not something that is affordable to everybody. But insurance companies are increasingly, I think, very good about covering this. So the kid will usually have a continuous glucose monitor. Mm. And the family will be able to have an app that alerts them, that lets the parent actually see the kid's glucose situation wherever the kid is, and even has an alarm for when things are um, concerning. Now, I am sure I'm grossly oversimplifying how complicated the realities are of managing. But but your point is you can, you can this is something that you can keep track of and manage. You can keep track of. And so the parent does have a backup system and can have a backup system. Okay. And is not entirely hoping and praying that the kid is making good choices all the time because they are kids. They will not be making good choices all of the time. Yeah. So I think that like, thank goodness for these evolving technologies where parents can actually have sort of a safety net in there. And so I think that makes this better. And I think it really is about saying, you want to be independent. I want you to be independent. Now, the thing that's hard, Rena, is the kid may be like, yes, I hear you. I want to do it. I get it that I have all the power about getting you out of my business. Now, we've talked a lot about executive functioning on this podcast. Okay, the executive functioning required to manage type 1 diabetes well is not small. I know. And that's what that's what I worry about. How dangerous is this really because you know, one bad spike, one, you know, it, it can take one forgetful moment for something serious to happen. How dangerous is this really? I don't know that I know. I mean, I think it can be very, very dangerous and I I think that um things can spin out of control. And so I get it where where a parent can be very, very scared. But what I would say, and I, I mean, Rena, think about the amount of work we're talking about for the yeah, parent involved here. Absolutely. Like I, I'm not, I don't say any of this lightly. So first I think it's about transferring it to a fight, not between the parent and the kid, but between the part of the kid that wants to do whatever the heck they want to do and the part of the kid that wants to take good care of themselves, right? And really trying to make it, that's the conflict. And then I think the next part is to say, all right, Dude, you want to take this over. I want you to take this over. Are you able to? And what structures can we put in place to help you take it over? Like, mm. do you need reminders on your phone? Do you need a check-in with, you know, somebody else who's not me, right? To right. feel like you're in charge of this. So trying to disentangle a little bit, like the fact that you don't want this to be a power struggle between you and your kid. That's one issue. But then if you can get out of the power struggle, does the kid have the supports they need to manage it effectively on their own? And what kind of supports can the kid and the parent come to agreement should be put in place? Mm. 
does it get any better? Yes. Here's what I will say. And I think that, you know, um, colleagues of mine in the medical field will say, oh, yeah, yeah. No, later in life, people they manage their type 1 diabetes quite effectively. Mm. Adolescence is really hard because, like, you don't want people in your business as a teenager. That is typical and expectable. And, Rena, we're talking about in your business, like, what did you eat and when did you eat it? And how much did you exercise? And you're going to that party. Are you going to drink at that party? Because, like, drinking at the party means something different it's a great for point. a kid with type 1 diabetes and a kid who, you know, doesn't have it. So it's really hard on kids and their families mm, to have different. anything like this. Yeah, I've learned so much. And you're right. I think that what what got me about this letter, and we felt we needed to do these two different ones, there were such different angles of the same problem. Yeah. And this uh, this parent saying, between the ages of 10 going to 12, boy, have we noticed such a difference. Yeah. That was yeah. really remarkable to have you walk us through it. Lisa, what do you have for us for Parenting to Go? So for Parenting to Go, what I would say is, if you have a kid with a chronic health condition, I hope you have all the support in the world, right? You deserve it and you need it, and I hope you have it. The other thing I will say is, Every one of us is parenting in a community with kids with chronic health conditions. And so as our own kids become aware of it, if our kids don't happen to be in that category, I think there's some really good parenting that can go on. I think um, we can work to learn about what that child's experience might be. And then if that kid is close enough into our own kid's social circle, so like if they're four social circles away, you probably don't need to give it much you know, consideration. But if they're closer... You might say to your kid, if you had to struggle with this, with what this kid is doing on the daily basis, what would you want from other people? How would you want other people to be? And then, you know, have your kid think it through and they'd be like, okay, go do that. <laughs> go be awesome. <laughs> and so I think um, having a chronic health condition as a child is incredibly challenging, hard on families, hard on the kid. And I think every single one of us can be part of the solution. Mm. It's great advice because you want to help often when you see this in, within your own community, but you don't know what the appropriate steps are to take. But and uh, what I've learned for you, one of the big things is having conversations really makes a difference with your children. Yep. They'll come up with solutions we never thought of. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. And next week, um, we are going to take on a topic that's really fascinating. Should you leave town and let your kids be alone? I mean, clearly there's a certain age for this, but... Um, should you let your teenager house it? <laughs> your teenager, should they be able to house it? The things you might not have thought of that Lisa's going to walk us through. I look forward to that one. Lisa, I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.